Kia ora team and welcome into Aotearoa Rugby Pod for another week here on Sky Sport. Brought to you, of course, by Rugby Parson. Well, what a weekend of international rugby it was. Hard to know where to start, really, but we will start with a quick fire around the usual suspects. Former All Black James Parsons, good to see you, Jip. Cheers, the boss man and the Titan Tron there, Ross Cow, uh, at home in his cosy home uh, on the, out west in Auckland. And, uh, and Bryn Hall, good to see you, Brynner, as well, mate. Uh, Jip, I'll start with your quick fire around, your player of the week. Over oh, a big weekend of footy? Mate, I found it quite hard. Like, obviously, a lot of players stood up across the board in, in all four test ma- matches, but I, I probably went for more of the emotional pick and went for um, Eben Etzbeth, obviously his 100th test. Uh, big occasion, I think his fiance sang the anthem, his parents were in the crowd, so emotional time, and he fronted up physically and provided a great platform for them to, you know, probably play their style of game to a better level than they had, you know, previous two weeks. But, you know, I do have to make special mention to Targ Byrne. I, I picked him last week as my uh, player of the round, and I just thought he was huge again. Uh, but I, I went for the other big lock uh, this week. Targ Byrne was, was immense, wasn't he? Uh, R- Roscoe, what about you, mate? Who was your player of the weekend? I'm with Targ Byrne. Big moments. He stood up when he needed to count. And, and on the All Blacks line, on his own line, it didn't matter where it was in the field, he was doing the business. So... Definitely him, definitely where the Irish are going, he stood out. And to stand out in a team like that is something pretty special. Brennan, what about you, mate? Who uh, who caught your eye over over the weekend? Yeah, I had three. I had Itzabeth as well, who I thought was, was great for um, for South Africa. And probably that series as well, probably the player of the series. You can't go past Adi Sevier in a losing effort. Like, he almost single-handedly tried to win that test match for us. But I've actually gone tight burn. And coming back to your point, Ross, around some big moments in game, um, you know, the 74th and 75th minute turnover... And then been able to win a penalty as well after the 75th minute. Um, he was immense turnovers, line-out, set-piece disruptions all over the physicality around the park. And so um, he was my player, player of the week this week. It's great to see a couple of Type 5 members get picked <laughs> by the, the, the Flash Harry of Bryn Hall. They're all, Beautiful, mate. All good, all good selections, guys. Um, I think we can all agree Chile. Chile, country that's oh, regressed the most, surely. Surely. Say you're right. And USA maybe regressed the most. Um, but no, look, I'll have to go with Ireland this week. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and I don't say that. Um, first thing, I think we've got to congratulate them. and understand, We understood that they're a good team. But, man, to be clinical as they were in a, in a deciding test match and, and take charge um, was exceptional. Their attack, their bodies in motion, you know, making defensive players that are normally so sound make poor decisions. Um, and then their willingness to defend and their, their work at the breakdown, they, they just are getting better and better and, and no doubt um, an ambitious group. You know, like they came here to play five, five games with probably what everyone was saying after that first Māori game in the first test. Oh, they haven't brought enough players. You know, they didn't panic. They challenged themselves and they got the best out of themselves and, and they'll be a real threat next year. Are we both in agreement uh, up on the big screen there that, that Ireland, the team that's progressed the most? Roscoe? Look, I don't know whether they've progressed the most for me. I thought if we're going week on a week-on-week basis, South Africa progressed a lot. Obviously, the team changed and their approach, certainly in the second half, was a huge progression. For me, that was just a continuation of Ireland's trajectory. You know, clever players, relentless players, players who know how to play within a game plan. I, I think they're always progressing, but that's just part of their makeup almost, you know? <laughs> and so you kind of take it for granted. About you, Brent? Those are good points for us. Should have you on the panel more often, mate. Those are great <laughs> points. Um, I actually went for 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 for, for um, England, and I think the way that um, before the series came, um, you know, they lost to the Barbarians, and there were a lot of hate on Eddie Jones. And and look, it wasn't perfect uh, by any means, means necessary. Mm-hmm. But I think to get the results in um, the way that they're playing, 
Um, you know, it's pretty consistent around how they play. And so um, they try and put on a lot of pressure with the kicking game. And then I thought defensively, you know, they made double the tackles of Australia, but um, the efficiency, not, I wouldn't say probably the tackle percentage, but the willingness to be able to get up and make big plays. And um, it seems like these Northern Hemisphere teams at the breakdown are just so much more efficient, um, both defensively and on attack. So um, for me, I actually had England, maybe they progressed the most and got a great series win, which probably we didn't think they were going to do at the start of the series. Bruno, I, I totally agree with you there, like, especially defensively. Like, man, they were just like brutal. And, and the Australian forward pack, apart for a couple of one, once or twice they get across the game line and, and they manage to get on the outside of the score. But, but other than that, you know, when you see guys like Michael Hooper getting pole driven backwards, like we're used to him being such a threat with ball in hand, he just can't find space in this England series. And, and they have just been brutal both sides of the ball in those collisions. And I think you're right, all the teams that won on the weekend, you know, won that battle the breakdown. And, and that was a big part of it. I think the tackle is the first part of the battle the breakdown, though, and that dominance to get guys driving back and then the second action after that. We're over the budget for the quickfire round. So yeah, I'll just, always, I'll just, I'll always. Just, I'll just get a team name for who's regressed the most, and I've got a feeling of what some of you might say, Jip, which team? Oh, look, everyone will probably think we're going to say the All Blacks, but I think Scotland, after the clinical performance they had against Argentina, you know, I, I expect them to back that up. Um, and they did for the most part, but they fell away in that last 20, which was, was probably the most surprising for me. Roscoe, the floor is yours. No, I don't think the All Blacks have regressed, mate. I think the All Blacks have stayed in the same place. And that's the problem. The problem is that they've stayed in the same place for a long time now, for years now. And, and really, that's the biggest issue for New Zealand. So I agree with Jip. Um, Scotland went backwards. They were so clinical the week before, and then they let it go this week. Bruno, which, uh, which team do you think took a backward step over the weekend? Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to say, to say um, Scotland, but for me, it, it was Australia. Um, I think the amount of opportunities that they did have in that game, um, you know, ample opportunities in that first 10, 15 minutes and where we weren't able to get over the line due to poor execution. And so um, for me, it was probably Australia because the way they played and the amount of opportunities that they had in that game, they probably should have won that series knowing that um, they had a lot of ball and they weren't able to get over the line. So um, I think, you know, David Rennie actually talked about that as well, the execution, they weren't clinical enough. And for me, in the kind of series that um, it was, not to say that Argentina and Scotland wasn't important, but for me, um, you know, the Australians will probably regress in, in that last game for me. In recent history, guys, I think you can probably count on one hand the times when we've woken up on Monday morning and gone, what What have we just witnessed over the weekend? And, and for me, probably watching the World Cup in 2007 was, uh, was the big one. As I say, though, it doesn't happen very often when we look at an All Blacks team and go, what is going on? But, Jip, start with you. What was the most... What was the most concerning aspect, not just of that third test, but from what you've seen maybe of, of the series or, or, or in the lead-up to the series? What has been concerning you about, about this all-black setup? Yeah, I, I suppose a couple of points. I think set-piece put us under a lot of pressure not to allow us to start fast, and we got so far behind. You saw in that second 40 the energy and the want and the desires there, um, but it's, it's such a far place to come back from, and, and the set-piece did come right in the second half, but... It's because of those struggles, it didn't let them get into the game, and they wanted it. They wanted to start fast. That Ireland had scored tries, you know, for the first time in every test, and that was a big focus. They didn't get that done, which was surprising. And then I think defensively, we're seeing guys that in Super Rugby and previously at international level are going on their own a little bit. So to me, that says that they're probably not talking to each other, or they're not trusting the system that's in place. 
Um, so those, those are probably the two areas for me that if we can get right, I think we've shown we can play that turnover ball and score points. We can go direct um, when we want, but if we can't win off, a, off our platform and if we can't um, stop the points, it's going to be challenging to, to, to going into what is a pretty big rugby championship with two away tests in South Africa. We've been used to seeing Brennan and Ross, um, I'll go to you Brennan, we've been used to seeing over the years the All Blacks having that ability when the chips are down um, or, or, or you know, certainly the, toward the end of the games, but even at the start of games when tactics aren't working to go, OK, this isn't working, we need to change it up. What did you see from that perspective, Bryn, in this test series where maybe the All Blacks could have done things a wee bit differently, maybe from the get-go where they were beaten to the punch? Oh, I think they, they tried to um, show a bit of variety. If you look at that first test match, you know, being able to hit the third ball carrier was, was a bit of an initiative that we hadn't seen in the past, which worked in that first part, but... I hate to harp on about it, but it's the it's the efficiency of the breakdown that's just the difference at the moment. It seems like with the Northern Hemisphere teams, and you know, probably the execution and clinical side of the things, we just did far too many mistakes. And Jip touched on the set piece ball early doors where we put ourselves under pressure. But you know, to be able to contest against the likes of Ireland and and France at the moment, you know, we've got to be able to put these teams under pressure through our face play and you've got to do it for high high amount of face counts and. Traditionally, probably, you know, if we get to that high phase cap, we're probably tearing up teams and we're scoring a lot of points off that. But because the teams defensively are so great and the collision area is so good from the Irish and Northern Hemisphere teams, we've got to go 22, 23 phases like we did in that second half to be able to score points against these teams. And so, and also our attack shape, you look at the difference between us and an island. It seems like Ireland, every single time they have the ball, everybody knows what they're doing. Those are the common messages that you're hearing from, from the outside public that the island attack just looks like it's in tune. And how, do you, and how do you do that? You do that with everybody being on the same page. And I guess knowing where they need to be and what role they need to do in that. Whereas you probably see in the third test match, you had guys in, out, in the All Blacks running different lines, not on the same page, not getting to the right shoulder where they needed to. And so against these, against the Northern Hemisphere teams, it seems that the margin of error to get things right, to be able to put um, put pressure on them has to be done every single time because the Irish you look at that try that um, um, that Bundyaki put away for um, who was it was it was it Ringrose Ringrose scores that try mm. was that right Jim yeah scores that try you look at the animation that continually the Irish keep doing and so for us the challenge for us is really our skill set needs to be better and when we have opportunities we've got to be much more clinical and being able to score points when we get those opportunities in the 22 because lastly any time you'd feel the Irish get into that 22-metre zone, you were pretty much thinking, knowing that they are going to score a try. Can you say the same thing for us when we get into the 22-metre zone? I don't think so. You talk about the efficiency of breakdown and, and that skill execution, and I think where you can get that breakdown right is when you're not having to catch a pass a little bit behind you because if you catch a pass a little bit behind you, then your guy that's running the tip line, his timing's off. Um, if you drop the ball, you're going backwards. So... I think the skill execution is the, the best fix, like you say, to fix the breakdown because you've got the ball in front. And I suppose the best example I can think of is when Doris went through early. I think he went through Laulala. He's got the ball in two hands. He's running square down the field. Um, Furlong's coming hard on a line. Sexton's out the back. So there's all these bodies in motion. So defenders have to make a decision. But this guy with the ball in, in the Irish forward pack, not just Doris, but they all do it, their decision-making at the line to read the defence's body language to make the right call is just so phenomenal, second to none. But that only comes about through other guys running those selfless lines and those bodies in motion that Bryn talks about. And it was the same 
for the try that you talked about with Aki is, you know, the downlines. It was like a double downline in the timing and it's just, they're so committed and so disciplined to stay in. And it's something that we've spoken about a hell of a lot over the years about the Crusaders. They're just disciplined to keep staying in that system and they just mm. keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And you know what's coming, but as a defender, you have to make a decision because there's so many bodies in motion and it's really challenging. Um, and then it keeps you short and that's why they've had so much success on the edge. Or when they went back the short side, it's because you know all black defenders w were so worried about being too slow or, or being late, they too many went around the corner, so the numbers are mismatched. And Jamison Gibson Park just sees that, and bang, bang, bang. It's yeah. it's just square hands down the side. What did, what did sorry, you, sorry, bring you go. Sorry, sorry, just to finish this off. And one thing that they're making to be able to attack so well is quick ball. It's so hard to be able to play on, um, to be able to defend quick ball. And so with the likes of Jamison Gibson Park, and you look at the efficiency of the breakdown that we've talked about. Defensively, it's hard to be able to defend. First and foremost, if you're not on the same page and you don't trust the defense system, it's hard enough to be able to to, to defend it on a on a good day when you've got um, slow ball and holding um, holding it defensively. But I think maybe that's one thing, Chip, that they could have to they have to go away. They've got to be able to slow down the ball, and it, it might be a little bit different because they're playing against a South African team that aren't you know is probably well attacked, have an attacking um, shape like the, the the Irish, but. Um, I think defensively, we've got to put teams under pressure, slow down that ball, and then get on the same page, and then be able to make turnovers from the way that we've been set up early defensively. What did you see, Ross, in that third test, and, and indeed over the series? I suppose for me, the big question is probably, uh, I'll go back to you on this, Bryn. I wonder why they're not attuned. What is the common element in teams that are struggling to be defensively linked or linked on attack, or are struggling to get their breakdown work right? What are the key things that happen within a side that lead to that, where the players just don't quite understand either the game plan or each other? Um, well, I think first and foremost, it's, it's, a, it's two things, really. I think it's as players, you've got to have accountability around your role and what you're doing. So you know, if, we look, if we look at that example of the first try with, with Keenan's try, you know, you've got a job to do to be able to, with, whether you're defending at the ruck or if you're on the edge or if there's someone in the pendulum at the back, communication is the most important thing and so those micro com so those breaks and those um i guess misreads don't happen so you need to be on the same page um and then also if you're thinking around on the attacking side they'll know what their shape is every team you talk about the crusaders whoever it may be you know what your attacking shape is and so probably it's been able to be disciplined enough in those moments with whatever if you're on the edge if you're running a move if you're if you're the first clean out of the of the ruck You've just got to be able to do your job better. And probably the difference at the moment, Ireland are doing that every single time, whether they're in an unstructured play, they find their way back into shape really easy because everybody knows what their role is. So I guess preparation could be a thing. Are they doing their homework? Are they getting? Are they having the conversations that deep they need to to be able to play against a team like Ireland? We've seen Ireland, this isn't the first time we've seen them dominate the All Blacks, guys. What was the most impressive aspect of their performance, perhaps this series Jip that you noticed, obviously led by a great 10 um, who steered them around. But but what did you see that uh, that had you going, wow, they've, they've taken some steps forward? Yeah, I, I just, I've sort of touched on it already, but I think it's that ball carrier, the person with the ball, his decision-making at that defensive line. And, and I use um, Doris as an example. He saw that it was a mismatch, went through. But you see, and even when they're unstructured, it's like if you're lost in their system, just run a hard down line. And you might get the ball but we've got people coming out the back. So even in chaos, the person with the ball, the ball is always in two hands, they commit defenders, and then they seem to always pick the right option to the guy that's in space. 
or they adjust their depth enough to just pick it off with catch and pass. And I think that's the biggest thing that impressed me. And, and we sort of spoke about it, didn't we, lads, before, you know, I suppose we used that Japanese game as an example, but on the India tour, some of the skill set, 1 to 23, has just been phenomenal. But that was, it, it's not easy to do making the right mm. attacking decision at the line nine times out of ten, especially at test match level. Yeah, Roscoe, that was what really impressed me. Sexton, uh, as you say, that the collision, they were dominating there. They got good turnover ball, but there was no lag in, in their decision-making, Ross. It was, um, it was clinical, that attack. What, what, what impressed you the most about the Irish? They seem incredibly coachable. I think that's the most important thing. Like When you look back through teams that we've seen over the years who are really successful, who don't necessarily have better players man for man, but dominate. I think about the Chiefs as a really good example in 2012 and 2013. You know, They weren't the strongest squad to ever win Super Rugby, but they did it well because they were so incredibly coachable. And the coaches gave them roles and they stuck to their roles and they got it done. And it seems in comparison to almost every team in world rugby, the Irish players are so coachable. They understand where they're supposed to be and why. Uh, the comparison I made on the weekend is they remind me of the Brumbies or the Australian sides from the late 90s who followed McQueen's structures to the T and it was almost unstoppable. They just kept on going and going and going. And that's what makes them stand out for me. And I suppose as an, a New Zealander and looking at the All Blacks, you worry that that's maybe not the case here. Um, I think that you can both celebrate Ireland and have a critique of the All Blacks at the same time. I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. I, I just think when you look at the All Blacks, you wonder about whether the coaches are delivering the messages and whether the players are understanding the messages because there's just a whole bunch of confusion. We'll go with uh, this next uh, this next point then, guys. We've touched on the Irish. We've touched on perhaps where the All Blacks um, were lacking. Mark Robinson came out and, and said um, that, the, that this series was not acceptable. Is it time for a change in the leadership of this All Blacks group? Is Ian Foster, as he coached his last test, is Sam Kane the right man to lead this team? I think that decision will probably come at that level because um, knowing you know All Black sides and, and knowing those players that have been around and they've been through successful areas, there's World Cup winners in the current squad from a player's point of view. The good sides stick together through this time and, and, I, and I know that's not giving you an answer but from my perspective looking in, you've, they'll have to galvanise if they want to get through this. You know, it almost... I think the tough times, and I've been through plenty, especially with rugby, um, I think the tough times really show, they, it shows you about your individual character, but the character of those around you. And um, it's not just one man's fault, and, and it's too easy. That's a cop out. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole team effort, and, and it'll take a team effort to turn it around. Do I think it's possible? Absolutely. Because we know we've got the players, we've seen them week in, week out in Super Rugby but perform. Just got to get some confidence back and, and some belief in that in that jersey. Bryn, you've been coached by an outstanding coach for a number of years at the Crusaders, um, without a doubt. Did, did you see something in that series? Have you seen something the way this All Blacks team has been playing that you go, they could do that differently from a from a from an attacking <coughs> perspective, a game management, a game plan perspective, which ultimately comes from the coaching group and how they want to structure things. Oh, I think, look, you, you do. And you, we've seen initiatives to be able to um, see some changes that um, the All Blacks could do, and they did in the first test match. But, you know, for me, I think it's just important for whatever, you know, I, I do question around some certain things. Like six months ago, we had an individual review. We had a review. 
around if you know Fozzie or the coaches were the right pick for the right for the right job. And so it's a bit confusing why then now we're doing another review. What's the review going to do? So I think it's important to move forward. If Fozzie and the coaching groups, that's the, that's the direction they're going to go, then let's support the hell out of them and give them everything they need to be able to, to go out and win a World Cup. But if it's not, if they feel they need to go in a different direction, that's Razor and, and his coaching group to be able to come in and try to change things. I think it's important that decision has to be made pretty quickly because we can't afford to do the rugby championship and then come at the back end of that, going into India tour, still having these questions around and having doubt. It's no good for Fozzie and his coaching group, and it's no good for, for the players to be able to have that doubt hanging over them. So um, whether whether that's going to be the case, I'm not too sure. We'll probably find out pretty pretty soon. But with whatever direction they do go, they need to be able to support that coaching system and the players and then be able to let them go out there. And if they want to, they go out there and win a Rugby World Cup next year, then great. If they don't, um, then you know that's probably um, the, the fact of the reason why we didn't get the job right. We didn't get the, didn't, didn't get the right people right. Couldn't agree more, Bryn. You have to either back... Um back your current setup or, or, or make change. Ross, change is never easy. It's never easy. But what do you think needs to happen? Is it, is it time for change? Because as Bryn alluded to, there isn't a hell of a lot of time before the Rugby World Cup next year. Um, you go into an intense rugby championship, games away at the end of year, uh, tour. Is it time to see some change in the All Blacks? You can't continue to do the same thing and expect different results. So there has to be change, whether it's a huge change from the management team and their tactics or a change of the management team. When I look at the timeline and you think there's two weeks till they go to South Africa, there's no way you're going to overhaul the entire management team in that time. So you're either going to back Ian Foster for another crack in the rugby championship or you're going to bring in a supervising coach who's going to oversee Ian Foster's team right now because you just can't do that from an employment standpoint in, in two weeks. It's just not really doable, is it? So I think you get to the end of the rugby championship and you make your big decision. Um, look, it's got to change. My personal perspective is that it probably should change. Uh, whether you throw Scott Robertson to the wolves right now is a hard one because he's going to have a year and a bit um, with a team that's not progressing and he's going to have to make some big change. We saw Michael Checker do that. Um, and take the Wallabies to the 2015 final. We saw Rassi Erasmus do that and take the Springboks to a World Cup title. Um, but I wonder whether you're better off to chuck someone experienced like Joe Schmitten in the meantime and then give Razor the job off the back of the World Cup so he's got time to build what he needs to build. Um, they seem like the options to me. It, it's hard when you look at what's happened over the last five or six test matches not to think that there needs to be a complete change of thinking here and it's not working. It's just impossible to ignore that point. Just one thing, Ross, that I want to bring up around that. You know, you talk around time with Razor. He's actually, he, he's proven that he can do that. If you look at probably Black Hatters um, before, my first time that I came down there, we had the talent, you know, the five or six years that, that Todd that Todd was coaching and we weren't able to get the job done. And so a year later, Razor comes in with, um, you know, obviously selection and being able to bring those guys together. Experience, there was an experienced group that we had at the time and we're able to win a championship because he instilled things that um, we're able to change the mindset and being able to get the best out of his players. And so Razor can do that. So if we're talking around time, I think personally, if you're going to do that decision, give him as much time. But if, even though it's not ideal, it's not a, it's not a World Cup cycle that he's going to have four years. But if he gets given that opportunity, I've got no question in my mind that he'll be able to get the best out of the players because he's done it. He's done it at Crusaders level. He's done it at young um, at 20s level. He's done it at Mighty 10 Cup level. So if there's one guy that you can do with less amount of preparation time, I think Razor will be one guy that I feel pretty confident he'll be able to get the job done. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that because if, if 
anyone's going to believe they can do it as well, mm. it's going to be Scott Robinson. And look, I, I haven't had a lot to do with him at all, if anything. But from the outside looking in, he just looks like he's got absolute genuine belief, not only in himself as an individual, but the teams he's put around him. And, and that, mm. that, that'll be the key, is spreading that load throughout that to, to make sure that there's that change. Um, but yeah, I, I think if there is a decision to be made, it's got to be sooner rather than later. I think even the rugby championship may be a bit late. Um, that's a pretty short, mm. short um, run up for anyone. Bryn, what is the one thing about Scott Robinson, one thing that you think sets him apart from other coaches, from a, I guess the way he deals with you personally and individually to get the best out of you? What is the, the one thing that you see? Um, well, I think he he's great at being able to bring a group together. And look, this isn't to say like we're not I'm not going up against Razor versus Fozzie or anything like that. But I'm just like, talking about my experience. If it, if it does change and that's the direction they do go in, he's got a great ability to be able to bring. A- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said what the. F- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Group together and been able to go for a goal. So you know whether that be with theming, you know having a theme within the, within the team to be able to go in the direction of where our overall goal is, but it's the steps in place that he puts in place to be able to then, okay, how do we do that? Building brick by brick, building the foundation and doing that every single week that you need to be able to improve and get better. But the overall mindset for the players, it's a clear goal that we've got up there up top, but you know we've got steps in place to be able to try and get there. And I think one thing that he does really well, and he's proven, he's done it with different coaching groups within his ranks. He's done it with Liam McDonald. He's done it with Brad Moore. He had Mark Jones coming from Wales. He's had Ronan O'Gara. So, you know, um, um, who's, who's there now? Um, Scott Hansen's there now, Andrew Goodman. So, you know, he's pretty good around the people that he brings into the environments. He can coach with them. And what he does really well, he understands his weaknesses, what he's not great at, and the other coaches that he has there are being able to then um, fill in what he's not great at. And so, you know, when you've got that kind of coaching group that collectively, I think, you know, for only I can only speak from my experience at the Crusaders, collectively the coaching group, you, they're all on the same page. And when you're on the same page and you're giving the same messages or you're going in the same direction, um, it leads into results that we have in the last six years at the Crusaders. So that's one thing that Razor does really well. Um, His mindset around the overall goal for a team and bringing the whole squad together to be able to drive towards that. But then I think his coaching around what he has as his coaching um, group and his team and the direction that they go in as well, along with the leaders and being aligned, um, it's been a great experience that that I've had um, with my time with Razor. One side of it's the coach, the other's the captain. There's been a lot of chat, Jipper, about selection in this All Blacks team, whether they've had the balance right in the back row, other areas uh, on the field. Sam Kane comes off with 15 minutes to go. He's a great player, he's a good bloke, but what did that say to you when he was pulled in such a crucial moment of, of a test? Well, I'm not going to go on about Sam Kane. I spent about an hour um, sort of putting it out there last week around you know where he's so good and what he does for his team. I think... Dalton Papali had to be injected in this game. Like he, he is someone that's got that X factor off the bench, and I think it was one of the best tests I've seen a kidder play. I know this season, but you know his whole career, he was massive. Not only defensive lineouts, you know, defence attack, he was everything and every into everything. And Artie 
was playing outstanding as well. So the, the, the logical substitution, I don't think it's as drastic as everyone made out. They would have planned for that. Um, you know, it was very key, clear that Artie went to captain. You know, I, I don't know. I don't. I personally didn't see that as an issue. Like, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Leave Dalton? You know, like Dalton's a great impact player as well. So I, I just think they made the right decision on the night for who was, you know, I, I just don't think you could have taken a ketter off after, you know, probably Dalton not nailing that six roll the week before. It, it would have been a bit tough. Roscoe, Andrew Porter, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of moments in the game. Uh, he was given a yellow card. Uh, Angus Tava was uh, given a red for a similar a, a similar incident. We've learnt now what an absorbing tackle is. Um, did, uh, did they get that wrong, Roscoe? Look, I don't know whether they got that wrong this week or they got that wrong last week. What we know is what's wrong is that they're not the same decisions week after week. That consistency is all we're asking for, right? You know, it's the same thing whether you called an absorbing tackle and his cheekbone absorbed all of the tackle. Well, you know, okay, then there were the misses, obviously, the Bundiaki clear out at the ruck. You know, there's a few things that were missed. And you expect differences from referees week to week. But once you end up going upstairs to have a look at these things, the result has to be the same. And therefore, we've got a major problem here. And we know it. The coaches have been talking about it for weeks. Just give us some consistency. If you're going to be tough, remain tough, please. Yeah, and, and there was a lot of talk during the week around, um, you know, having the common sense approach and, and maybe that played a part in the decision. But let's not forget Angus was dealt three weeks and that was cut in half through his record. So to me, that says that was the right decision. So that needed to be, um, you know, delivered again. It wasn't. And, and there'll be a lot of people out there that, that say they can understand it. But OK, if that's going to be the case, then Angus probably shouldn't have got the three weeks and it should have been downgraded to a yellow. And, yeah. you know, then it makes it clear that, you know, Porter's situation is... But because they didn't, that's where the grey area lies and that's why people get frustrated. I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. What I'm saying is that consistency, and I've said it on here for a number of years, you do not care about the ruling as long as it's consistent. And it needs to be it needs to be way more consistent to take the grey out of it. And the result of that is Brody Retallick is has uh, broken his jaw. Uh, he's out for six to eight weeks. How much of a blow, um, particularly for the All Blacks, where they find themselves at the moment, is is that losing um, such a wonderful player? Oh, it's it's massive. You know, Brody's a big part of that. Um, you know, that locking uh, department for us, and it's done it for a number of years, and it's, it has a so much experience when it comes to that kind of blocking um, department. So, look, anytime you lose a player like that, um, it's going to be tough. But, you know, someone else is going to have to stand up. You know, you've got Sam Whitelock there. I think we probably need to, um, you know, make, give him, you know, maintenance around um, the time that he has. And I think it's important that we need to try and give these young guys opportunities as well for the next rugby championship um, to give them opportunities to try and build the depth around that. You know, you've got Tupo Vai who's been there now for a couple of years, who, um, you know, probably has the ability to be able to play Test match footy, given that, you know, Brody now isn't going to be there. You've got Paddy, who's come back from, from Japan, um, who's been there, who's proven, um, and probably needs to take more of a, I guess, a grasp on the opportunity that's going to probably come ahead for him. And so um, you've got Scott Barrett, who's going to be there, there or thereabouts with the other uh, locking department, uh, other, other players. But uh, we do have guys there to be able to, to, be able to um, play lock, but... It's been able to give them opportunities now, and they've got to be able to stand up. They've got to take the opportunity with Brody being out, the likes of Tupo and Paddy, um, and put in performances to be able to build that depth going into the 2023 World Cup. 
Jep, we'll move on to some international or other international shortly, but just quickly, uh, once more on Ireland, uh, how much better can they get and, and how do you see them going next year at, uh, at the, the RWC? Well, I always think it filters from the top down and, and I think I take note of Johnny Sexton straight away directing the praise towards his coach and he is courageous and he is ambitious. You th I, I state again, he took on a five-match tour and he, and he said this is the start of our World Cup campaign. He reiterated it again after. So he, he believes, so I think that filters through the squad that they can get better, they can be more ruthless, but also they can be more consistent. They, they, they just put out two great performances, but they still had that slip up in game one. So I have no doubt that they want to get to the fact that they have an aura around them that they just don't lose. And they've got a prime opportunity now to move forward. And I think it starts with Andy Farrell and, and, and Mike Catt and the way he has his attack structures. They're not going to be able to stand still. We've seen in world rugby that the moment you stand still is the moment you you sort of start your decline. So um, I'm sure they've got plenty more tricks up their sleeve leading into what will be a big, big occasion in, in France next year. And to that end, the All Blacks have always been seen, guys, haven't they, as the innovators of the game moving forward. So we'll see. We'll watch that space closely. I don't think there's been a Rugby World Cup, Ross, with such anticipation heading into next year, given the quality of the teams, the form the teams are in, the form the North's in, mm. the form England's in as well, to come back in that series. Um, what did you make of that, guys, uh, up in the Titans from there, Roscoe? When you look at those deciders on the weekend, four series going to a decider, showing how close things are between the hemispheres, and to see the progression of the North, the way it's gone, makes it incredibly exciting to see the French with young talent, the Irish with incredibly clever talent, mixture of young and old, and to see an all-black side where we don't really know what they are or where they're at, I think you just have to look at the viewership from the, the weeks just gone, and you can tell that people are interested in watching. They want to see it because it's changing and it's interesting. So I think, yeah, it's probably the most exciting build-up to a World Cup over the next year that we probably have seen because of it. We don't know what's going to happen. There are legitimately lots of teams who can win this tournament, and... Look, I don't think that France are that far ahead the way that maybe we thought they were at the end of last year. Um, you know, the Irish seem to be coming. Um, maybe that's just because they beat an average all-black side up, as they should have. Um, but I, I think it's very exciting. Brunetti Jones pretty fired up <laughs> at the end. I don't know if we saw the club, the uh, the punter in the crowd said, you're a traitor. He says, what, mate, what? You come here and say that. So he was he was definitely uh, on fire. So too um, England's defence. And, and that's where Dave Rennie perhaps said that they they couldn't quite uh, couldn't quite break through. Out to a 10-3 lead early fight and gutter at the end uh, got them back into the contest somewhat. But um, was that for you, Bryn, the, the key, England's D? Oh, I think it was. I think for that, for the third test match especially, um, you know, they, they made 155 tackles and Australia made 67. So, and I guess the way that with England how, and how they play, the kicking game is really important, whether it be with their box kicks with Danny Keogh or the um, other halfback that came on as well. Um, and then Marcus Smith and Ben Albert to put his contestables up through the middle of the field. So they've got a pretty clear DNA of, of, of how they want to play. And so, you know, the most impressive thing for them was being able to come to Australia and, and get the result. Um, and so, um, and like I said to you before, these Northern Hemisphere teams, the defensive effort that they put in around the collision area and contact area, it just seems to be, um, that's the difference at the moment, I feel, for the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. And so, but Australia, you know, at the same time, they could have won that test match. They asked a lot of questions early on. They, you know, Tupo got through a little special play that they went through the heart of the defense. And then, you know, the one missed pass that went to the legs and, you know, they end up scoring that try. So... 
And then I thought the attacking shape that the Australians have as well. I think, you know, they asked a lot of questions of England and coming back to that being clinical and execution, that's where Australia probably got it wrong. But um, to win, you know, to win World Cups and big test matches, you've got to defend well. And, you know, England did that really, really well. Like I said, even though the efficiency of the tackle percentage wasn't that high, um, but again, they, they keep getting up, they keep making good decisions around the breakdown, especially in, in big moments in games, it seems that these Northern Hemisphere teams are getting steals at the right time. We look at, you know, Byrne in the 74th and 75th minute. I thought Courtney Laws had some big moments in that game to get some steals to be able to stunt the momentum of the Australians. And so, you know, when you've got great breakdown work, both, both sides of the ball, you've got a great kicking game that you know your DNA, and then when you do have the opportunity to be able to attack and you score tries, they can do that as well. So, um, again, they're another team that can win a World Cup in 2023. You know, there's about five or six teams that I think have got really good shots at, at winning a World Cup, and England's definitely one of them. I think you made a key point there. Is I think this Test Series was one in, in probably three areas. The first was um, their line-out D. Uh, in the second Test, Australia had opportunity after opportunity, and they just couldn't win their own ball. It was the same on the weekend. I think Hill got up, disrupted, it bounced for Marcus Smith, try. So that was one off the back of that. And then you talk about their ability to get turnovers. It's their tackle choice. Their tackler mm. just goes low and he just gets the man to the ground. So guys like Marco Vunapola, Courtney Laws can get over that ball and those big bodies, when they get a wide stance and they're down that low, you can't move them. So we're talking about these red cards, we're talking about yellow cards. Here we've got a team that's winning test matches on the back of their defence, and a lot of it is around their tackle choice and making sure they get low and get that body to the deck as soon as possible. And then they look to win the race into that breakdown to get the turnovers. And they just did it phenomenally well the other night. That third test was definitely one on the back of those three areas. Roscoe, South Africa came back uh, after that tight loss to clinch the series uh, against Wales. Um, gee, it's you talk about fascinating contests coming up in the state the All Blacks find themselves in at the moment. That is going to be... Um, incredibly interesting against the Springboks. Um, what impressed you the most about them? Obviously, we know how big the Fords are. We know Etzebeth had a special occasion to toy Khaleesi, the usual guys at Pollard, 20 points as well. Um, is that another team that we find with a nice balance at the moment? Yeah, I mean, they've kept the beautiful balance they had from the last World Cup, haven't they? And they've added some players, given them some chances. Um, Willemser looks like a, a real threat at international rugby now. He seems to have found his feet. But Pollard... And, you know, we talk a lot about Sexton. It just shows what that kind of experience brings to a team, the leadership. I really enjoyed how he, he took it to the line maybe a bit more than we've seen from him recently and, and showed some options there. They've just got a really strong team. And week on week, they are a contender against any side in the world and against New Zealand in South Africa, against New Zealand team that's finding its feet. I, I find it hard to imagine that it's going to be anything other than 2-0 to South Africa right now. Oh, I think, you know, you look at that second test, you probably, um, you know, put a cross around that, that second series with how much changes they had. But, you know, for me, the biggest thing for the All Blacks is going to be moving forward is being able to, how do you defend their line out more? And if you can't do that, you don't give them opportunities to be able to get in there because... Don't give away penalties in that anywhere near the 22-metre zone because you can tell on the weekend... Island where I would go through the heart of our of our line out malls. And we know that the South Africans, anytime they get into that twenty two zone, they're going to their line out mall. So um, don't give them opportunities to do that. But then what I have enjoyed about South Africa, and we, we talked about it at length last year, when they get into that twenty two meter zone, they roll up their sleeves and they they actually attack with the ball in hand. You know, you look at Khaleesi's try, a 
around him just dominating the collision and being able to get over the advantage line and then score a try. So for me, the two areas probably for the All Blacks is the defensive system that they're going to need going over when it comes to the line out more and getting that right to well, obviously they're going to get opportunities to get down there. It's, you know, they're going to get opportunities to um, go to the line out more. It's been able to defend that and then been able to, um, I guess, make the good decisions like the English do, tackle choice and been able to get the low chop and then someone on the ball to be able to do a double shoulder and win that contact area even more, but then also get penalties and be able to slow down the ball and be disciplined when we get into that 22 minutes zone because the South Africans, um, that's their money. That's where they score their points. And that's what they'll look to go for the All Blacks for sure in the next two test matches. Jeff, what did you make of the Pumas uh, against uh, the Scots? Obviously, you talked about it at the start. Perhaps the Scots are a wee bit disappointing. Um, but but again, we talk about players like Sexton. We talk about players like Pollard, Buffelli for, for, for them um, as well. Massive with 19 points. How do you see them stacking up coming into the later tests in this year? Oh, look, they'll be a challenge. And the one thing you can see with the uh, you know, Michael Checker side, and, and to his credit, Hasn't always worked, but Dave Kidwell's defensive system, they'll be getting used to that. They'll be looking to impose themselves and, and looking to force errors. So for those two guys, that, that we, we speak about Andy Farrell's ability to filter down to his group. You can see it's they're getting more and more confident. And the one thing I like about this test for Argentina is they bounce back after a very, very tough um, performance and, and one they wouldn't have been proud of to do it um, and get the result at home. And, and Scotland played well, man. They were, they were dominant for probably 50 minutes and then it's like um, Argentina came to life and you mentioned Buffelli he didn't just score points man he set it up he was running um, you know inside lines to create the offloads that led to tries but he also was such a threat the Scots were so committed to where he was sometimes it created space for others so it's players like that that it's going to uh, make them better and better but where they probably want to um, be better is imposing themselves um, early up front I think, you know, that loose forward trio of the, the Scots got over them, you know, and probably in the second and the third test in those collision areas and especially the breakdown. And, and you know, we had Pablo on earlier in the year and you know they're not going to accept it. They know how important their side winning football games is for their country and that, that's what they're all about. So um, they'll definitely be a threat as, as the season wears on. Ross, the Pacific Nations Cup was, uh, was fascinating this year. Obviously the eligibility, the rule changes through World Rugby allowed players to to turn out for uh, for their home nation, the, the nation of birth. And um, and we saw some good quality rugby from players. Obviously, Tonga were without uh, Falau, uh, Fikitoa and, and Charles Pietau uh, after that first game. But Manu Samoa going on to win their first PNC title, uh, coached under Salela Mapusu, obviously Tanu Manga, former All Black captain in there as well. Surprising to see them do so well, and, and particularly given the length of time it's been be- between drinks, between wins over Fiji. Well, I think it's great for them. They've got some good coaches, some knowledgeable coaches in there, and they've obviously got good players, and they're developing. I mean, they've lifted up the rankings again, what, to 11th now? So that's really good. It also just shows how important the PNC is for spending time together and developing your systems. If you've got a few weeks, you can get to the point where you can beat a team like Fiji, whereas in the past, I suppose maybe in in more one-off encounters, it became difficult because Fiji's got such great depth and such wonderful players all around the world. Uh, I think it's... it's, uh, great tribute to what PNC is all about for developing these teams. The, the one thing I loved about Samoa in this tournament is when they got put under pressure, you know, probably so often in, in, in history they've probably tried to solve the problem on their own, but they've, they've gone to their big boys, they've gone to the corner and they said, keep it under the wing. You know, um, Lamb scored a couple, um, Nui obviously got a hat-trick the week before. 
And that, to me, you can build off that because we know they've got the X factor out wide, but the fact that they can go to the big boys under pressure and get um, and win these games under, the, under that system is outstanding. And look, I have to give a plug um, to Tom Coventry. Like, the work that he would have put into that more and allowing them the belief that this is a part of their game they can go to and they can be world class at um, will be huge. And I think off the back of that and off the back of this, is going to springboard them into you know end of year, but also um, you know 2023, where we probably all were guilty of. I was of expecting Tonga to come and um, rip up. We after that first game, we thought Fiji were the and they sort of were the quiet achievers and and just went about their business solid. Well, we'll talk about Tonga, the uh, Karitahi, Brenner, three straight losses. I think when we looked at those teams, we talked about it on this on this program. Um, the players that they had, obviously, uh, those guys I mentioned didn't play a part in those second two matches. But um, concerning for them, I mean, they've got the Hong Kong uh, this coming weekend for a place at the Rugby World Cup. Uh, should they be concerned heading into that match? Oh, I think oh, you, you never underestimate your, your opponents. But look, you're going to think that you know, the Tongan side are going to get that result. So I guess the biggest, biggest thing for me is that it's all in well, you know, having these great players um, on paper because, look, we probably thought before this competition that you know, they were going to be there or thereabouts winning the competition. But... You know, it's, it's amazing when how much you need cohesion. You need cohesion and you need time to be able to build um, those relationships and build that kind of, um, I guess, confidence to be able to play with each other because, you know, they've got a great backline um, that they're to be able to, um, to beat you one-on-one in that. But I think, you know, the forward pick really, when it comes to step pace, um, it's probably going to be a big thing for them moving forward to be able to understand um, situational football, uh, big moments in games, whether it be a line-out drive or it's a defending a line-out drive or it's getting a a line-out ball, not throwing it over the top and, and trying to, um, you know, I look at the Fijian game when they went 100 metres to score a try off that. So it's been able to understand those in moment games, um, in moment, moments, sorry, in games to be able to get that right because um, unfortunately in this um, PNC competition, they just didn't get that right. And so um, you'd like to think they'll get this victory against Hong Kong and then they can slowly build and be able to bring those players that, that, we've, that we've talked about, you'd like to Fikitoa, Piatau. They've got to be able to give them a platform to be able to, to express themselves and to be able to then score points off that because put them a little bit behind the eight ball and, and Samoa will probably deserve it um, just due to the fact of what the work that Tom Coventry did and um, how the Fords were able to react under pressure. I guess go to their line-out more drive and uh, build pressure through through that way. Yeah, good to see Australia A involved yeah. as well. They played some good code uh, in the PNC. Rightio, guys, uh, we started with quick fire. As we do, we end with International Team of the Week selections. Probably the hardest thing you'll have to do all week, Chip. Uh, who, who have you named? Um, I've got Genj at one. I thought he was huge. Um, fending off Karevi deserves it on, on that alone. Um, Monambi at two. I thought he was he was absolutely outstanding um, in his 50th test. Um, special mention to Ashman, for the hooker from Scotland. He w- he was awesome throughout. Furlong at three. Byrne at four. Itzabeth at five. I do want to make a special mention to Nick Frost. I thought he was you know probably for the first 40 or 50 minutes he was he was really dominating up front. Just couldn't finish it off. Courtney Laws at six, but Khaleesi and Akira, as, as mentioned earlier, they were they were massive in, in their roles as well. But I just thought Laws made big plays. He had the role of captain in this series, so massive um, tip of the cap to him to get the blindside flanker this week. Uh, I went with Josh van der Fleer. Special mention, Peter Steph de Toit, but I thought van der Fleer, man, I think it was 23 out of 24 tackles. Uh, big with ball in hand, so um, he was outstanding. Hard one at eight. Um, you know, I, I do acknowledge Munipola and Doris, but I went with Adi Savi. I just, I, the, his stats and his single-mindedness to wanting to win that Test match was 
Uh, you couldn't ignore it. Um, I went for the reserve nine for England. He came on in the first half around the 35th minute. Um, Eddie obviously wasn't seeing what he liked. And um, Van Povillet, is it, um, Brunner? Yep. Um, yep. He... He, I don't know, he changed the game. They scored a try as soon as on. He just has that energy about him and, and great off the bench. Sexton at 10, Havili at 12. George North was huge at 13 where, you know, um, Wales had to defend pretty much all night. Um, I went Buffelli at 11, but I thought Cotton Betty, um, Van der Merwe, Tom Wright and Will Jordan were all notable mentions. Like, winger was quite a tough space, but I thought Buffelli was great off the ball as well as on it. And then I went Jack Knoll at 14. Um, and then Stewart, but a special mention, I agree, Ross. Willemsa is a serious player, um, but Stewart was outstanding for England at 15. What do you have, Brent? Rip in. Pretty similar forward pick, actually. I went Genja at one. I went Ashman at two. Uh, Furlong, three. I went Byrne at four. I actually had um, Frost and Etzebeth as well, but I've gone for Etzebeth. I had a notable mention for Frost. Courtney Laws at six. Van der Fleer at seven. Um, eight. I was going to go Vuli Paula, but I think just Adi Severe in his form. Um, pretty similar to what the words you were saying, Jake. You can't not have him in the team. Uh, well, I actually went Nick White um, for Australia. I thought, um, even though the Australians lost, I thought the way that he was able to play and, and been able to manipulate the heart defence is going to be massive for them going in the rugby championship. And I think it's going to be pretty hard for the All Blacks. They're going to have to make sure that they get their rock defences sorted because um, he was great on, on the weekend. I um, went 16 at 10. I went Karevi at 12. I thought um, his ball playing ability and being able to get over the advantage line and his, his actually his distribution skills have come a lot better. He seems to be a triple threat player now. He can kick as well. And so um, I thought he was good for um, for Australia on the weekend. I've gone Henshaw at 13. I've gone for the wingers. I went um, Van der Merwe for Scotland. So I thought you could have picked anybody on, on that left wing, uh, but I've gone um, Van der Merwe. And I actually went Buffelli at 14. Had to fit him in there. And then I've gone Stewart. Uh, but a notable mention for, for Keenan, who I thought he was good against the All Blacks. But um, Stewart's ability to be able to win the ball in air um, and his attacking prioritizes was was pretty great for England um, on the weekend and in the series as well. Two very strong teams. Well, I was pleased to hear a couple of All Blacks in there as well, guys, uh, despite the dominance of the Northern Hemisphere teams over the weekend. It's going to be an interesting week, isn't it, uh, for New Zealand rugby? Um, but as always, appreciate your time. James Parsons, Bryn Hall and the boss man, Ross Carl, on the screen. That is Aotearoa Rugby Pod for another week. Uh, we'll catch you next time right here.